Hi, I'm Matt. I create videos about motorcycling, camping and travel, which can be viewed on my YouTube channel, Classic Rides. Hi, I'm Simon Josie. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Matt McFadden, creator of the Classic Rides channel on YouTube. I was really happy to have the opportunity to speak with Matt as his carefully crafted videos really resonated with me when I first stumbled across them maybe 18 months ago. If you're not already familiar with Matt's work, I encourage you to check out Classic Rides on YouTube. His videos have a signature aesthetic and pacing. Before we jump to my chat with Matt, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank those listeners who have already sent feedback and encouragement after publication of episode one. If you have time and the inclination, please consider rating or liking the podcast in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. This will help other listeners find the podcast. I've established a presence for the podcast on Instagram under the handle real.riders, on Blue Sky under the handle Real Riders Podcast, and also as at Real Riders on the platform formerly known as Twitter, but now rebranded X. I'll be posting whenever new episodes of the podcast drop. So please do repost, reskeet, and retweet to help get the word out there about the podcast. Right, please now enjoy my discussion with Matt. Hi, Matt. Uh, welcome, and thanks for joining me on this episode of Real Riders. How are you doing? Oh, great. Thanks, Simon. How are you? Yeah, super. Matt, you have a, a YouTube channel called Classic Rides, uh, where we can find over 100 videos dating back to 2011, though the vast majority of your YouTube content began appearing after August 2020 and coincided with the arrival of a, a Royal Enfield Interceptor 650. Not long after that, which is maybe a story in itself, your Triumph Bonneville T120 appeared, and it's largely been the centerpiece of your filmmaking since. I always like to start off by asking about your origins in motorcycle filmmaking. I know from your website that you're a photographer and a digital artist, and I'm assuming your work with still images came before the motorcycling and the filmmaking. But if we consider the motorcycling and the filmmaking alone, which came first? Was it the motorcycling or the filmmaking? Well, the, the motorcycling came first and the, the, the filmmaking sort of followed not, not too long afterwards, just because I was dipping my toes into um, Instagram and Instagram at that point was trying to be like TikTok. And I, I, th there's no real grand plan behind it, but I just decided that I was just going to make some little films of some of the rides that I was doing. Um, I think part of me wanted to show my, 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 put my partner, Jen, those rides. Cause she was, she was mortified that I got a motorbike. Um, and I, and I think I, I just wanted to show that I wasn't riding like a, a maniac and I wasn't going to necessarily kill myself on the bike. Cause I wanted her to see that I was riding like slowly and stuff. And then I, I plopped those initially onto Instagram. Um, and it was funny because my Instagram account at that point had been for photography. Um, and had gained no traction whatsoever. You know, I could put like a picture on that I was really proud of and get zero likes, zero anything. But the minute I started putting stuff on about the motorbikes, it just shot through the roof. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do this instead then, because this is what people, you know, seem to be drawn to more than my actual photographic work. So, and and then it just went from there. And I just once um, I already had a, a YouTube channel. Well, I, I had an account with YouTube um, from like 2011. Um, uh, which was I was using for work actually, just making private videos for people doing like tutorials on how to do this and that and the other, but never public really. And I just thought I'll just plonk those videos on YouTube and see what happens. And and, and it turns out some people like the videos, and then I just continued with it really and, and tried to get a little bit better at the filmmaking side of things. With your still photography, had you done before you got into motorcycling yourself? Had you done any still photography of of motorcycles? No. I mean, other than I've always been into classic cars um, and going to sort of big classic car shows, and there's there's always bikes there, uh, and I've always been into motorbikes, um, but I've never I'd never really photographed them before. Like actually, gone out of my way to photograph them. If, if they happened to be a nice bike, I'd take a picture of it, but not. I didn't go specifically to photograph motorbikes, so so not, so not really. No, no. Would I be right in assuming that you haven't had any formal education in, in filmmaking? Or is that is that a wrong assumption? Oh, none at all, no. 
not even in photography. <laughs> and I've been a professional photographer for 10 years. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's absolutely zero training. Other than YouTube, which to be quite honest, you can learn anything on YouTube these days. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that a lot. And, and, and yeah, I, I believe that for sure. The, the Bonnie is, as, as I mentioned, it's become a centerpiece of your filmmaking. So, so tell us about it. You've, you've had it since uh, 2020, August 2020. Well, no, was it, I think October 2020? Yeah. yeah. And apart from the early Interceptor 650 rides, and, and I think you did a, a ride out on a, a Triumph Speedmaster one day when your, your bike was in the shop. Yeah. Um, and also recently in the summer of 2023, you, you made a two-part Snowdonia motorcycle camp um, trip in which you had a couple of bikes. One of them, which was a was a Honda or a Yamaha, I can't remember. Uh, it was a Yamaha Tracer 9GT. Right, right. So apart from those, everything else you've done has been with the, the Triumph Bonneville. It's had a, a starring role. Has, has that been deliberate, the fact that it's very much a centerpiece of the videos? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think that bike for me is, it's 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 what a motorbike should be, um, you know. And, and I know it's, it's a trope that, that I won't be the first to have said this, but you know, if you ask a, a kid to draw a motorbike, they'll draw something that looks like a Triumph Bonneville, you know, big round headlight, teardrop tank, and wheels. It and that that's my idea of what a bike should be. So, you know, as much as I like other bikes, I still haven't seen anything that looks that I that that inflames my heart more than than, than the bonneville because it just looks perfect it, to me it looks perfect um and, and also it's my bike so it's easy to go make videos with it because i can just take it out whenever i want and i you know i'm, I'm not in the uh privileged group of people that get press bikes so i don't get offered um lots of different bikes from manufacturers to, to, to ride so i i really only have the one choice but it's 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 the choice i would make anyway because it's it happens to be my bike so and, and usually if I'm riding another bike, it's a, a, as, as you notice, it's usually because my bike is otherwise engaged either in the, in the shop or um, for the camping video that I did where I ended up riding the Yamaha, it was because my, my best friend lives abroad. And for one reason or another, he couldn't get insured to hire a bike in the UK. So uh, the thing was that I had to hire the bike whilst he rode my bike and I got him insured on my insurance. It was all a bit convoluted, but... It was just, I would have ridden my bike, but he was using it. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I like the Bonnevilles. I think that it's just a traditional British brand. It's sort of, I, it, it fits with the channel as well, because I wanted the channel really to be, you know, a, a British chat riding a British bike around the British countryside and stuff. Because a lot of these channels are always, like, you know, they're going abroad and going to like, you know, Europe as though that's the only place that you could, the, you know, good motorcycle riding can be done. And, I don't know if people often sort of overlook their own backyards a little bit. I, th I think the UK is a great place to ride a bike. There's some spectacular places, and I think I just wanted to showcase that a little bit and 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 make it a bit of a sort of like a theme, a theme like a Britishness sort of theme, which I think foreign audiences appreciate that more than actually British people do. But it's something that's helped sell the the channel a little bit. I mean, for example, my, my second biggest audience is actually Japan. Uh -huh. And I think they because they buy into that whole that whole British thing, um, so that's that's helped in some ways. I think propel the channel on a little bit. I try to keep to keep it sort of in, in within the British theme, not not because I'm like xenophobic or anything. It's just it just it just helps sell that particular sort of brand of the channel. And and it extends beyond the bike itself to to the gear that you wear, the yeah. your, your helmet, your gloves, the. Um, the bags that you you you, you put on the bike—it's it's a sort of a complete aesthetic, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure that's all deliberate, but but I think that's the the, the completeness of it is is quite appealing. It, it seems completely thought out and well formed. Is, is 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 that what you've been aiming for? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, the the, the aesthetics are very important to, to, to me personally I want, I want to be able to stand back and look at something and be like oh that looks that looks nice probably more so than if it performs well i just want to i want to know that it looks good it's, it's it's been a happy coincidence that the things that i actually like the look of have also fallen in within that british brand category so for example like one of the jackets well in fact both my main jackets someone's a bell staff um and one is an ashley watson are both British brands um 
and, and but it just happens that I actually really like those those jackets and and particularly something like the bell stuff you know it sort of seems a bit of a fashion item but I like the style of it and and I like things to be um authentic you know I, there, there are cheaper options that look like a bell staff and I, I kind of all I'm always of the mind of I'd rather just buy the actual thing than buy something that looks a bit like the thing that I really want and and with the with the Ashley Watson jacket that's just a just a, a style it's just a very stylish piece and it's also triple a safe as well so it's on a motorbike it's fantastic because it's well it's, it's as safe a jacket as you can buy and it just looks good as well um and it's similar with, with like I said with everything I've just it just it's a happy coincidence that the, the things that I like happen to fall within that sort of brand of triumph Britain, the countryside. It all kind of works. Um which is not really I've not really planned for that. It just happens to be the way it is, and that's the things that I like. So And and it certainly seems popular, the the, the concept, because you know, having seen the comments to many of your videos on YouTube people are often referring to the bike and how beautiful it looks. And, and so it, it seems to be resonating with, with the audience out there as well. Yeah. Yeah. People, people seem to like the Bonnie. It's a, it's a pretty bike. Yeah. Yeah. Switching over a little bit to the, the art of, of, of filmmaking and to me, and this is something that I, I maybe bore people with, but I'm kind of fascinated with the technology that we have at our fingertips now and what that's allowed us to do, particularly in the in the filmmaking space. But for you, what's been critical in terms of the, the technology that we now have available um, for you to, to sort of bring your vision to, to YouTube, to, to an audience? I think the... Um... Honestly, the, the GoPros are... The, the, the image stabilisation, because I think without how good that's gotten you wouldn't be able to do the videos on a motorbike because it, it would just you know i mean i i i did experiment for a while with like attaching a, a gimbal to the motorbike and having a camera because I, I wanted to get you know a shallower depth of field for that more cinematic look and it it was horrendous it just didn't look good at all um it really sold home to me how how good the stabilization is in a gopro um so i think just just on a, on a, on a technical basis that that that's incredible what they've actually managed to do. But when, when you like I say when you go and try it with an actual normal camera and, and a gimbal, it's the, what they've what they've managed to do in such a small form. I mean, admittedly, there is the trade off of it's you know you don't you can't really adjust the depth of field on which is a shame. But it's it's as a, as a, as a rugged piece of equipment to make video with. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think that 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 again, it's a piece that everyone can buy. They're, they're relatively cheap and. I think I think it's kind of overlooked how good they actually are. Like in terms of the, the brains that's gone into making those is 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 it's astounding, really. And in terms of your gear locker, is there something missing? Do you are you you know, or, or what's next on your on your list of things that you must have or would would dearly love to have to you know enhance um, or help you with with the filmmaking? Well, I think for, for me, I would really like the next thing that I want to get um, is to upgrade my off bike camera because because on the bike I use GoPros and then and then off the bike um, I use a little Fuji X one hundred F which is not not film camera at all. Um, I, I bought it because I was sick of lugging around the studio DSLRs everywhere. So I would like to upgrade that because it's I, I love the quality of the the, the the photos and the film that comes out of the Fuji, but it's just it's not 4k for one um and it's i really want to get rid of using a gimbal with it um I, and i think if i if i upgrade to the i think it's the xt4 not not the xt5 is the newest version but it's it's a bit megapixel heavy i think for what i want to do so the xt4 has by all accounts brilliant in-body stabilization you can hand hold it and film without n- needing a gimbal necessarily which is i think for me would speed up the, the filmmaking process when I'm on the bike because having to get off and then set the gimbal up and steady it and then film takes obviously takes a little while and it 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 kind of like kills the speed of what I'm doing it and, and with on the bike it's always a trade of you know if, if I'm on a trip I actually want to get to where I'm going and then anything that I can do to film and be quick about it is is kind of important so that that would be the next the next thing would be you know to to upgrade the the stills camera off by camera i mean in terms of the the creation process this is something that 
I, I really like about your videos is that you do, or, okay, we, we have to look at the, the, the whole back catalogue and, and it's really it's really interesting to see how your your, your filmmaking has developed. But it, it's clear now that, that you have a, a quite a well-developed sense of, of storytelling and, and to be able to tell those stories, you need to employ a variety of shots, B-roll or second camera, whatever you want to call it. And the other thing that you do quite a lot of in your videos is that you employ different positions on the bike where you mount your GoPro as well. A lot of this takes quite a bit of time, whether you're moving cameras around on the bike or whether you're um, setting up a, a B-roll camera and then driving up the road and driving back. How do you do this efficiently? What's what's have you what, what are your tricks that you've learned to be able to do this? Um, it's I think mainly this it, it's just been trial and error mostly. Um, and now that I know the positions where I can clamp things on the bike and it's safe, and I know that I'm going to get a good angle from it, I'm quick at it. But I think if you when you're starting off doing it, and you're, you're you know you, it's a bit hit and miss. Sometimes you'll mount the camera somewhere, and then you get back and you realise that actually your foot has just obliterated the entire camera and you can't see past it or you haven't quite put it out far enough. But I think with a bit of experience, I now know the angles and positions on the bike to put it in. So, and I, and I use um, ram claw mounts. So they're quite quick just to unscrew and then I'll, I'll plonk it on another bit and screw it back on and just adjust it and, and try and be quick. But it, it does take time. It, it's definitely, it's not, a, it's not a quick operation. And, and I think, Maybe one of the advantages of the Bonnie is that you've got quite a few different mounting points that that you can't maybe have on a, on a plastic fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I found that. I mean, I, I rode a Triumph Trident um, recently um, just because my bike was in the shop again, and there was just nowhere to put the cameras onto, and it's like oh, this is this is quite tricky to to find places to do it. Um, so yeah, the, the the bike's really handy. It was one of the reasons I I, I put um, the crash bars on it. It was not just for safety reasons, but I, I knew beforehand actually this is going to give me more options to to hang cameras off on it. Um, so yeah, it's quite that's all that all that bling on the bike is quite handy. <laughs> and and in terms of setting up that that B roll camera so that we you can uh, have a shot of you approaching somewhere or driving away from somewhere. Have you have you had any problems with with people trying to steal your camera or anything like that or get in the way or you know because <laughs> that that would be my concern. I mean, I live in Germany and you'd say, oh well, Germany's a really big place. There's no one here, but but this is what I keep telling people. You you stop in the middle of nowhere and suddenly five seconds later a German appears out of nowhere. So, you know, have you had any issues like this? Yeah. Well, it's exactly the same here. I mean, I can I can be in the middle of the countryside absolutely. There's no one around at the minute. I, 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 you know, you put you put the bike across the road for a shot, and a car turns up, and you've got to quickly move. So we're exactly the same. But I've only had one. Uh, well, to begin with, I, I don't shoot in cities. Um, I, you know, I, I tried it once, and I, I went to Manchester City Centre. It was like four o'clock in the morning, thinking there'll be nobody there. I can get some amazing urban shots of the bike. It'll be brilliant, and it was still full of people, and it. You know, I, I don't. Like I say I, I. I don't know what Germany's like, but in in the UK, if if you leave something for more than ten seconds, somebody's going to steal it. It's just, it's, it's it's a sad reflection on our society that it's people like to take what what's not theirs. So I don't, I don't tend to leave the camera anywhere where there's going to be people. So again, it's a happy coincidence that I enjoy riding in the countryside. So I can leave the camera at the side of a, road, a fairly deserted road if it's a slow road as well. I don't do it on. Uh, the faster roads, um, just because it's a little bit too dangerous to mess around. But if I can find a slow road that's quite quiet, um, then, you know, I'll stop, I'll get the camera out and, and do all that thing. And I've only had one time when when someone looked like they were going to steal my camera because it's, I was the point of where I was turning around to come back. So I was outside and, and I caught them on camera. Obviously, they'd, they'd seen my camera and they hit the brakes and they, they pulled over. It, it just looked as though if I... I mean, perhaps they were pulling over genuinely, I don't know, but it seemed to me like they'd seen the camera and thought no one was around. And I think if I'd been more than 30 seconds longer, they'd probably had it in the car and driven off. But it's, that doesn't happen that often. I think you just have to be careful with where you put your camera um, and just try and keep it as people-free as possible, unfortunately. But that's, yeah. that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, beyond the obvious, for you, what, what are the differences that you experience between creating still images versus creating film I, I imagine this is a big topic but you've come from one discipline 
and you've moved into another. And, and I imagine those there are similarities, but big differences. Yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I thought, I naively thought there'd be a lot of crossover, like it would be, well, I was just using a camera and I, I know how to use cameras. Um, and I was, I was surprised at actually how much I've had to, to go back and relearn. Um, so I wouldn't, I, I don't think I would go out of my way and say, and, and I don't think I would ever say at the minute that I, I'm a filmmaker because I'm very much like learning at the beginning stages of, of figuring things out. And a lot of it's, um, I think it's just a different thinking process. It's so much to the point where I'm having to even relearn things like composition because with, with the stills camera, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. It's just natural to scan the edges of the frame and, and, and make sure that I've got my subject where I want it to be and, and do all that. Whereas I'm finding that, that when I'm setting up a, a shot, particularly with the off-bike stuff, I, I'm, I think because I'm so busy thinking about other things, I'm forgetting even simple things like composition and having to relearn to do that and putting it into a sort of different thinking process has been... It's been surprising. I didn't expect to, to have to deal with stuff like that, but I've enjoyed it actually. It's been nice to sort of relearn a different aspect of, of photography and, and and still be in the process of learning it. You know, it's quite it's quite fulfilling to sort of learn something new and, and then put it into action and then actually get a better result on on the end video um, because I've listened to what somebody else has said. Um, so it's been good. It's been surprising though. It's been surprising how different it is. Um, mm. Mm. given that it's essentially the same bit of equipment. Yeah. T to what extent do you pre-plan videos? Like, do you do storyboarding? Um, or do you just sort of head out and capture something and then think, oh, I won't necessarily fix it in post, but I'll, I'll be able to, to generate a story out of this in post? Yeah, th there's no plan. I, I almost, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not a person that plans. Um, I just usually have an idea of I'm, I'm going to go somewhere. I know that I need a beginning. I know that I'm, I need a middle. And I know that I need an end to the video. Um, so those are the, obviously those are the three the three basic things that I'm thinking of, um, but it just it depends on how I feel. You know, I don't know because usually when I go somewhere, I haven't been there before, so I don't know whether the roads are going to be fast roads. I don't know if they're going to be slow. Um, so that that will affect the pace of the video. Um, I don't know whether by the time I get there, whether I've encountered you know a lot of bad drivers and i'll just be in a foul mood by the time i get there which which colors the rest of the trip because i'll be in a bit more of a somber like kind of slightly irritated mood and that that will color the what what i sort of film um or whether i've had a really nice ride and it'll it'll translate into a much more sort of jovial light-hearted video it's but i, I don't I, I can't control any of those things so i don't try and plan it too much because it's I, I really don't know what i'm going to get until i get there and so yeah, other, other than those three things, um, I don't really know how I'm going to do it. So still at this stage, because, I mean, you got your, did you get your license in 2020? Is that your motorcycle license in 2020? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so you're still enjoying the thrill of going somewhere new, going mm. on the bike, the thrill is in the ride, the thrill is getting somewhere, seeing somewhere different. So, and it's rather than, okay, I need to go out and make a, a video today. It's like, oh, I'm going for a ride. Oh, and I'll take some video when, when I go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I still, you know, I still, um, I'm still, like I say, I'm in that, in that mode of, still going to new places on the bike and it just being a, irrespective of, of making a video it's just a, a fun thing to do to go somewhere new on the bike and see what it's like but yeah i mean some of the places i used to go in classic cars and stuff because i used to just ride those for fun as well um but yeah going on a bike's different your videos are all typically sub 20 minutes and, and many of them are less than 10 minutes is there anything conscious or any factors driving you about decisions of of, of how long each film will be yeah, I think um, I think there's a, there's a number of reasons for that, and some of them are to do with YouTube, um, and some of them are to do with my limitations in terms of editing. Because I, I, you know, this is something else that I'm I'm learning still um, how to edit. So I find for for me, a ten minute video takes me about a day to edit, which I'm sure professional filmmakers could knock that out in no time. But for me, it takes a long long time to to actually put it together and, and re-watch it and make sure that it it flows as a story and it it takes me quite a while to get that right um but also with with youtube i think because youtube's very much um you get rewarded for for quantity over quality so if i have a video that's that's 20 minutes long if there's a, a reasonable 
way that makes sense to the story for me to split it into two 10 minute videos, then that's what I would do because YouTube will reward you more for that. If you have two separate videos, two separate dates, you'll get much more of a uh, sort of traction with that than you would with one 20 minute video. And because I, I don't, I don't post sort of all the time, it gets a little bit more important for me to try and segment the videos out if I, if I possibly can. But, but like I said, most of the time it's just one trip anyway, it's there and back and that tends to be about 10 minutes. And I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think many people would tolerate a 20 minute video of just wheels turning on a road, even no matter how many different positions that you put it on, there has to be something else in it. I think, I think 10 minutes is probably the max of what people will, will actually watch before they flick off to something else. Hmm. And, and that seems to be working. That seems to be working okay for me. So yeah. I'll just keep doing that. Yeah. Apart from your your two parts Snowdonia motorcycle camp videos, I think I'm correct in saying that that most of your your videos document what one would call a solo ride, just you and your bike. Yeah. First of all, what does that mean in, in terms of practical considerations? And then maybe I'd be very interested to 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 hear what you think about riding solo, riding with a group. The main reason that they're all um, sort of one 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 journey trips um and it it might sound a bit banal to some people but it's because i have a dog um and i look after him so i can't for me taking two three days out to do a longer trip which i could chop up into various days it is quite a a logistical exercise because my partner she works so i have to try and work it out and make sure that someone's here to look after him because because most of the time it's me um so i really can't take I just wouldn't do that to him. I wouldn't leave him alone for like a, a whole day if my partner Jen can't be back to look after him. So genuinely, it's it's because my dog sort of stops me from taking longer trips. I would like to, but I can't I can't sort of leave him on his own. Um and and as for riding with other people, I I it, it would be difficult to to make the videos that I make the way that I make them with someone else. They'd have to be very patient because I stop a lot. And even you know, I, I did the, the camping trip with my, with my best friend. I've, I've known him since I was 18. And, and even he was getting annoyed with me at the end of the, the two-day camping trips, having to stop all the time. Because, mm. you know, and I stopped about half as much as I wanted to on that trip. So right. that just kind of confirms me that it's not it's not really possible, to, for me anyway, to do a trip with other people. Because it's just, I, I'm patient because I know what I'm doing with it. But it's to, to expect somebody else to be patient is probably not not that realistic really so hmm. um and then also you feel a bit self-conscious about what you're doing as well when you have someone watching you all the time it's yeah i i struggle to relax a little bit and because i feel a bit daft sometimes particularly with the off bike stuff you know and you're filming yourself getting on and off the bike and stuff you feel a bit a bit of a lemon and, and having someone extra watch you doing it just ramps up that self-consciousness and and you kind of don't want to do it and then you don't do it and then you get home and realize you've just not filmed a bunch of stuff that you wanted to and it's not their fault you know when it's it's not ideal so for me doing it on my own is just the uh the best way to do it really sure and that that actually leads me into a, another observation which is that even though you were talking on camera right from the, the start of the, the the motorcycling videos recently you've taken to speaking directly to the camera more often uh than than we've seen previously um so what's driven that or what's encouraged you to do that i think um I, th I think it's I, I'm more well, like like most people. I I don't really like the sound of my own voice, especially when you hear it back on recording. It just makes me cringe a bit. I I, I don't like it. Um, so that was that's the original reason for not doing it. Um, the second reason is uh, the 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 style of video that I do. It's it's kind of a it's a South Korean and a Japanese style of moto vlog um, that I came across whilst looking for videos on the Etcetera T120, and I was like. Oh, I like that. And they, they don't talk, but in the, their videos, they have, usually have a much, a much bigger emphasis on cooking for some reason. Um, but that's part of their culture and they like that. But I, I like the whole attitude towards motorcycling and moto camping and the way that they do their videos and that they often don't speak in them. And I, I really like that because it was just sort of, you can, you can lose yourself a little bit more in the video when you, when, when you don't have someone interrupting your brain with, with, with talking. Um, and I like sort of the idea of just watching a video and pretending that 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 you're the person riding the bike. And I, I think, because like when you talk a little bit, it takes you out of that. And then, and then and then the third thing would be 
I mean, here in the UK particularly, a lot of the sort of more established moto vloggers do that whole camera on the chin thing, and they just talk. And you can be you can be watching a video and three four minutes into it, and and honestly, they haven't said anything that was worth listening to. It's just they're telling you things that don't add anything to the video. You know, oftentimes they're telling you what road they on, where 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 they are, or or what they can see. But but all of those things you can just see by watching the video yourself. You didn't need them to speak. As anyone knows who, who browses YouTube videos, motorcycle filmmaking often employs drone footage, and, and this is something you, you've incorporated in, into your filmmaking. What practical issues do you encounter when creating drone footage in the places that you, you ride, which is obviously in the English countryside or the British countryside? Sorry, I've got to get that right. Uh, well, I, I don't know whether it's the same in Germany or not, but the, but the British drone laws seem to be in a constant state of flux. So when I first got the drone, I did it all properly. I got registered. I got my little pilot's license for, for the type of drone and the type of flying that I was doing. And then over the last year, I think it's changed three or four times where it's it's really hard to keep on top of what I'm legally allowed to do and what I'm not. Um, and then also I, I had an incident, not an incident, but I had a, well, I was filming in Wales and I was filming over this lake and it was it was very beautiful and as I, as I was bringing the drone down, um, actually, I should say that all, all, all of Wales is military airspace. Um, so there's no, no, uh, no public planes, should we say. No, no public service planes are allowed. So it's just military jets. Um, anyway, so I was flying this drone over a lake. And, and you are allowed to fly there. I checked everything. It's fine. But as I was bringing the drone down, two single-seater planes jetted through. And one of them went right in the space that I had the drone. And it put the fear of God in me just for a second. I thought if I'd had that drone up 10 seconds earlier, he'd have hit it. And I, I shudder to think what would have happened. I'm sure his plane would have gone down. I would have had a death on my hands. And I think since then, it's really put me off flying the drone. And, and I, know the, I know that the chances of that happening are really small. Because I was literally 10 seconds away from killing someone with it. I, I don't know. I've been very reluctant to put the drone up again, um, which is why I haven't, the most recent videos, I haven't bothered with it because it's mm. just been, I keep getting flashbacks of like, the, literally the drone wasn't even on the floor. It was coming down and this sort of propeller plane just zipped through. And I was, I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> that that could have been really bad. Um, yeah. Um, so things like that that you can't mitigate for has sort of put me off a little bit. I, I will get back to it, I think, but I've, I, I don't know how I... I develop a situation where i can fly it safely sure that i'm not gonna unless i just don't fly places like wales which is a shame because it's a beautiful landscape it's mm. it's um but yeah that's and, and also i keep crashing them I, i've um <laughs> i had i had one which was run over by a van and he crushed it and then I, I dropped one into a lake um and then the last one i i think i just hit a tree with it so i've been through like three drones i'm, I'm averaging one drone a year at the minute and they're um <laughs> they're not cheap <laughs> so um yeah I'll, I'll try and get back to them, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. How important is accurate sound capture for you? I mean, there are endless videos on YouTube with people trying all sorts of different combinations of microphones mounted on different parts of the of, of the bike in different positions, uh, different actual mic capsules. People, you know, because people obsess about the sound of their motorcycles, that's why they buy different mufflers and things like that. Yeah. So, so, so there is a genuine interest in, in in capturing the right sound. What have you done? What sort of practical issues have you encountered? Do you think you've mastered it or is it an, an ever-ending sort of challenge? Yeah, I think c capturing audio of the bike has become my nemesis um, of making videos. It's And if it's the biggest sort of complaint, the one that I get most often on the video is people saying they want to hear the bike, which I totally understand because my bike, well, all bodies sound great. They've got a really nice rumble to them. But I've had such problems trying to get decent audio on the bike, um, and I, I, I've, I've tried lots of different ways. Um, I'm going to try a new thing, which is having wireless mics. Uh, but but previously, I've, I've tried all sorts of things, just having uh, mics strapped up different places. I've tried, I've, I've tried recording the bike whilst it's not moving, but just getting the engine noise, and then trying to stick that on over the top of moving footage to kind of fake it, but in a way that it looks sounds good. But that that was just too much post-processing work to make it convincing so yeah that it's really hard particularly with, with my bike because it's um 
It's not a very loud bike. I think if you if you have an outrageously loud motorbike, you can just shove a microphone in your backpack or something, and you'll pick up the engine note no problem. Um, the problem that I got because it's not very loud. Um, if the mic is set like you know the the gain's set enough to capture the, the sound of the exhaust, it captures everything else as well, including the the chain noise is really loud. the The actual mechanical noise of the engine doesn't sound very good, and it'll capture that. There's just there's everything else in with it. Um, so at the minute I'm hoping what I'm going to do with these wireless mics is that I can have the mic set in one position, and then the receiver will be on the GoPro. Then it won't matter where I put the GoPro; it'll still capture the same audio from the same position. And maybe with a bit of luck, I'll get some decent audio because I, I would I would love to have decent audio on the videos. Um, at the moment, I tend to just cut it out completely because it's just too much wind noise and it, nobody wants to hear that sort of horrible distorted noise for 10 minutes so um i just chop the noise out at the moment but I'd, l- I'd love to get to a point where i can put it in i can add it in um mm. but we'll see it's, it's been a struggle that's it's really hard it's probably it's, and again that's probably been the, the a surprising thing to learn about video is that the most important aspect is the audio um which i, I would have thought would have been the visual side of it but but actually no it's you can make something look really nice but if the audio is terrible the, the video is terrible um so yeah, that's it's been it's been a struggle, but I'm I'm say I'm learning. I'm getting there. Hopefully, in terms of the overall production process, if we talk about pre-production, which seems to be quite a minor part in your case, um, no criticism. Um, the shooting and the and the post-production. Uh, which part do you most enjoy? Which part is the least enjoyable for you? I think the the least some of the least enjoyable bit, which would be I think when I'm starting to edit it. Because I have a whole big bunch of footage all shoved in slightly different bins on DaVinci Resolve, and I, and I and I don't know exactly which way the video is going to go. So there's a bit of stress at the beginning, thinking, "Have I even got a video with this?" And it's not until I start making it that I can sort of work out where it's going to go. So that's always a bit stressful, and 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 I probably usually don't feel good about making it until I'm about halfway through the video, and I feel like I've actually got something, and I, I, and I don't know that until I'm there. So. There's been lots of times where I've I've spent half a day a day editing and just been the whole video because it just wasn't getting anywhere. Um, and and uh, the most enjoyable bit, I, I guess, is the end result. You know, when you finish, you have a video and and you think, oh, it's quite good actually. Um, and you watch it and you've managed to make something quite nice, quite nice to watch. I, I, I like that. I like the end result. Um, and I, in a weird way, I, I like um, I like the chore of making the video, but it is a chore. It's a bit like ironing. I quite like ironing. You know, like ironing clothes. Like, I have a big stack of ironing. I really like doing it, but I hate it at the same time because it's like a chore. So it's just all the same thing. Yeah. I think with, would it be with ironing? It's that, that tactile that, you know, once you're comfortable and you, and you trust your iron and you, and you sit up and it's all good to go, it's quite satisfying because it's like mowing a lawn. You can see what you've done, right? Yeah. And you, you, you sort of, you end up with a bunch of untidy something and you change it into something that's organized and, and good. And I sort of feel the same with the videos, you know, you sort of, you're out foraging at the beginning, gathering together clips and things, and you put it all into a bundle and it's a, it's a, it's a mess. It doesn't, it doesn't make anything. And then you work on it a bit. And at the end, you've got something that makes sense and it's quite enjoyable to watch. And I, I like that bit at the end, but, and, and I do in a sick sort of way, enjoy the process of doing it, but it's, it's still a chore. And where does the music fit into this whole process? Do you start with the music or do you start with the, the visuals, first of all? Where does the music fit in? How much time do you spend selecting music? Is is that something that you really enjoy? Is it driving the story or is it something that is is a bit of a chore? No, I, I enjoy it. Too. Well, I enjoy it to a degree. Um, I think particularly with YouTube and obviously all the copyright laws and stuff, you're kind of restricted with what you can you can legitimately use. So I use Epidemic Sound at the moment, but I also use Artlist previously. And it, it is a chore going through trying to find music to put to the clip. And, and I usually, how, how I normally do it is, as I said, as I was saying before, you know, when I, when I go out and I, I don't know exactly the mood of the, what I'm going to capture, but by the time I get home, I kind of like know how that ride was, whether it was a fast or slow one or or happy or annoyed one. Um, and that will inform the kind of music that I look for. Um, and then I'll pick the music um, that I think matches what I'm trying to make. And then 
that music informs the pace of all the clips and the cuts of the video. So usually the music kind of comes, the music comes second, I would say. Um, capturing the footage, getting the feel of it, then the music, then making the story to the music. Because um, usually I try and make it to the beat, um, all the cuts, so that it's it's just a little bit more watchable. You know, it's sort of, you can sort of zone into the, the, the song and the, the clips happen on the beat and stuff. So um, all, all moments in the videos happen to the beats. Uh, which I quite like doing sometimes. It's, sometimes it's quite subtle, but uh, I like to get that in there. And um, and then that 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 makes the sort of the whole pie. Well, not the pie, the sausage of the video. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, the music's really important. And and then so I can spend I can spend hours sometimes just going through tracks on Epidemic Sound until I get the one that just you know you get that moment you go oh that's the one that's the song I want. Mm. Uh, but it can take a while trawling through because it's. It's a bit limited, and I don't always want to use tracks that I know that other YouTubers have used recently. Because you, know, you hear something, you go, oh, "That's a really good track," and then you realise it's you know someone like Freddie Dobbs has used, it, and it's like, well, "I can't use that this week because he's you know he's just done the same thing." So, mm. um, yeah, it can take a while, but it's it's worth it. It's worth the effort of finding the right track. I think. Do Do you ever do you ever hear a piece of music, or maybe have a particular favourite piece of music, and go, "Oh, I mean, commercial music," and think, "Oh, I'd love to make a video to that piece of music." no not really um i think because i think the music as much as it informs the, the sort of feel and drive of the video i think once you start getting into using commercial music i think people would be watching for the wrong reason they might be watching because they like that particular music and and the music track then becomes the focus rather than the video and I, I don't want i don't want that to be weighted that way i want the video to be the main thing and then the music just uh, a secondary driver of how you feel about it but not not necessarily the main thing if that makes sense mm. yeah yeah totally in terms of the overall process is, is there any part that you feel you struggle with and, and you know are most self-critical of and, and uh, looking to or wanting to improve um, I'd, 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 lo I'd love to be able to present better to um to, to speak without so many ums and ahs um and, and just be a little bit more flowing with that that that's something i would like to do uh, more because i feel like the whole talking aspect is something I'm, I'm going to continue to, 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 to put into the videos more, um, or, or at least certain types of videos. Um, and I'd like to be better than that. At the minute, I, I hate doing it. It's, it's, um, it takes me about 50 tries just to get like one sentence out, which is quite a chore to do. Um, but the more I do it, the, the better I'm going to get at it, I assume. So that's quite difficult. And I, I just, I don't know, the, the, the whole being, I don't mind filming the bike and I, I don't mind filming, um, when there's no one around but that whole subconscious thing of filming when there's people around and getting over it's quite difficult i think because i'm used to when i'm photographing people you say you're photographing a model in a in a public space it's not a problem because everybody's looking at them you know you're just the photographer hiding you know, you, you're behind the camera no one's looking at you yeah, yeah. Um, but when it's you're filming yourself and you're aware that people are sort of driving past or walking past them you think that they're thinking oh look at that plonker doing something for instagram and they're probably not thinking that at all, um, but it's because I think that when I see people doing that, mm. um, it just makes you a bit. That's that's hard to sort of cut that out of your brain. Um, but again, it'll, it'll get better with time, I suppose. Mm. Hopefully. <laughs> um, so, in terms of, of YouTube and your experience with with YouTube, you know, as I said earlier, you've got over a hundred videos on on your channel at the moment, plus a few shorts as well. Based on responses from YouTube viewers and in terms of view counts and, and comments and likes, dislikes, what have you discovered works and, and what doesn't work? Um, I, I think just trying to make videos that you would watch yourself, I think is probably what works. I mean, and also be, being aware of what's, what's already been done. Uh, you know, I think if you, if you go, I, I see a lot of people trying to create a YouTube channel when they're on a motorbike and they have do you know a camera on the chin and they're just talking and, and i think that that whole thing has been done and it's been and it's it's being done really well uh, and i'm sure germany you guys have your own sort of youtube motorbike celebs who do that you know we do in the uk you know there's very specific people that do that and they have gigantic followings and you're sort of trying to compete with them i think i think maybe don't do that if you want to have a successful channel um which is part of the reason why I don't really do that because it's, you know, there are people already doing it and they're doing it far better than I could do it. So I'm just going to do something a bit different. Um, and I think it's that difference that 
sets you apart a little bit. And then that's maybe why people subscribe and watch your videos because it's not the same thing. So I, I, I guess, I guess that, I guess try and try and do something different. Um, but also try and do something that, that you would watch yourself. You know, again, like I, I took, as I was saying, a bit of inspiration from the sort of Japanese and, and South Korean motor vlogs to make mine, because that's what I like watching. And there's not that many people in the UK doing it. Um, so, you know, it, I guess like any artwork, you see something that you like, you take an inspiration from it, and then you try and change it enough that you're not just outright ripping off somebody else's work. You've put your own spin on it, and then you try and make that your thing. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think uh, that works. And engaging with, with people on YouTube, I think, works. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to ask about that because cause you, you know, from what I have observed, you've been very diligent about responding to people um, when when people make comments. And and I think, oh, that must take a lot of time. But, but um, you seem to be very good or very conscientious about that. Yeah, well, I, I, I try and... I, I may change my mind if, if the channel ever gets to a point where it's massive and i've got you know hundred thousand subscribers perhaps then the chore of it will be too much but i think for now you know it it doesn't take a minute to reply to people and i i think i've all I've, i'm of the opinion personally that no reply is still a reply and usually quite a rude one um so if someone takes the time out to leave me a nice comment i'm i'm, I'm going to reply it takes like three seconds to reply to someone to say thanks mm. and and like I say, for me personally, like when I've when I've commented on some other YouTubers' accounts and not had a reply back, I felt a bit sort of affronted. Like, oh, anyway, it would have only taken a second to say to say thanks. But then that that you know, if, if you do do that, I guess that person feels a little bit, you know, uh, warmer to you. They've got a reply, and they might well stick around for another video. Uh, they might hit the subscribe button because they, they they know that you're not, you know, you're an approachable person. You can talk to this this person on screen whereas some of them i think are a little bit unapproachable you know if you don't get a reply from someone who's you know even even, even smaller channel, but channels that are smaller than mine i mean there was i'm not going to name names but there was one and i, I left a couple of comments and he had like three thousand subscribers and I'm like oh, you're not getting that many comments that you're swamped you could you could reply to me and and he didn't and i was like oh, okay well i clicked on unsubscribed mm. um yeah so there's that like moral side of it and and then also you've got to think about what the youtube algorithm wants um you know if you boil it down to say there's two channels say there's only two channels on youtube and the algorithm has to decide which one to promote is it going to promote the channel where the the owner doesn't reply to people and try and get a conversation going in the comments or is it going to promote the one that does it's if you're a programmer you're going to program it for the one that does because that's going to be more engaging for viewers which means YouTube's going to get more advertising, they get more money. So the, you're the one they're going to push. So if you're looking at it, you know, just in pragmatic terms, if you want to get your, your, your channel to grow, then it makes sense to comment to people to reply. Mm. Um, that's what I think in any way. And it's a nice thing to do. It's just a, a nice thing to do. Sure. Um, do you, I mean, again, from what I've observed, is that the overwhelming... In fact, I don't think I've ever seen any negative comments. Do you do you ever get <laughs> frustrated that you're you're not getting critical feedback in terms of and not negative feedback, but but critical in the sense of oh, have you thought about doing this? Or I really like what you did there, or something that that is um, maybe stimulating for you in terms of if, how you might do your your videos in the, in the future. Well, I, I I do get them now and again. Um... Usually, as I was saying, the most the most one that I get is that people would like to hear the engine note. You know, people say, "No, it was much better <laughs> if you could hear the engine." Yeah. Um, probably the second one after that is people saying that you know they they would like to hear some talking in the video, just just some some talking, which which I get because I think people um, like Thomas, who you've interviewed, um, or Andy Van Cam, who who seem to have hit the right amount. They they don't unnecessarily talk. But they do talk to to give you context of what you're watching, which which I like. Um, so I get comments like that, which I, I totally understand, and and actually I like that because it lets me know what people want. Um, and and the rude comments, quite honestly, most of the time I find the rude comments quite funny. I like I like the people that um, go out of the way to leave something that's a bit rude because it's you know mentally challenged people are quite interesting to to talk to. Um, but yeah, in terms of getting actual film critique i don't know that most people that watch youtube are probably that knowledgeable 
that they could offer much. Um, I did have one chap who was quite rude, off like basically just deconstruct an entire video. And I thought, wow, this would be so much better if you'd have made all the same points but not been rude about it. And and but as it turns out, I, d- I did listen to what he was saying, and, and, I, and I tried a lot of the things that he was talking about. For example, you know, he was talking about in videography about only having your short speed double your exposure, yeah, yeah. Um, which I, I don't do. Um, and I tried it, and for YouTube, it looked rubbish. But I, I tried it, you know, and, and I, I took it on, but I just wish he'd have been a bit more polite about it. Um, so I, I do get them. I do, I do get them. Not, not often, but I do get them. Right, right. Um, in, in terms of the channel and, and your, your plans, or, or what plans or hopes do you have for the channel? Uh, I know a little while ago, that you you actually put a piece to camera where you 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 sort of actually you revealed it was it was quite a personal piece where you, you talked a little bit about the fact that what works what doesn't work is this should this be just pleasure is it a job it, it you seem to be not having an existential crisis with YouTube, but you were <laughs> you, you were pondering some 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 things and out loud to, to your audience as well. So where where's your thinking with with the channel now in the future? Well, I think I think one of the things that I've noticed with 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 a lot of the bigger channels is they're often fronted by people that are either retired or fairly independently wealthy in that they've retired early or or they don't need to work whereas i i've i've been self-employed for 10 years so i'm very much my brain is very much of the mind that any day where i'm not working is the same as i'm losing money so any day that i'm out on the bike or spend a day editing is a day where i'm not earning a wage and i have a mortgage i have bills to pay so all of what i'm doing on youtube it has to replace a day's worth of work i can't just do it for fun and so I think that's part of my my sort of troubles with YouTube is that you know the, the amount of money that you actually earn from YouTube is shockingly low. And 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 I, I you know the more that I don't think YouTube's going away anyway anytime soon. I think it's becoming it will become basically like another TV channel um, for people. Because it is for me. I'll 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 browse YouTube for an hour or two just watching different things, you know. But the the difference between what say programs on at now TV or Amazon get paid to what your average YouTuber gets paid is it's it's a vast, vast difference. Mm-hmm. Um and yet b- both channels are providing audio vi- audio visual programming for entertainment. We're all doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the money that you earn from YouTube is is tiny. So I think, you know, I was just thinking about um in terms of trying to explain to people why why you have advertising and why 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 we need it because it's it's not something that I like doing, like selling to people, because I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a salesperson, and I don't like, I don't like being sold to either. When you watch a video and someone's like, oh, you know, you know, in fact, I saw one that's quite funny recently, and it was someone he was talking about how he'd just broken up with his girlfriend. He was very sad, and he was almost crying on on camera. And then just at the end, just when I was having some sympathy for him, and he went, oh, you know, and I've been having a uh, telephone counselling, and if you need telephone counselling too, <laughs> this is my discount code. And I was like, oh, you just you ruined it. Like I was, I was with you. I was feeling your pain, and then, mm. then you threw in the discount code right at the end, and it, it sort of ruined it. So, I kind of like I, I don't want to go down that sort of really uh, ingenuine, ingenuine. That's not a word. I, I think it is disingenuous. Or uh, well, I could be wrong. <laughs> disingenuous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I um, think that's the word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, if I am going to promote something, it's basically because I like it, and also I need the money. <laughs> <laughs> in order to keep doing the thing that I'm doing, um, yeah, and I think that's the that's the thing. It's it's YouTube pays nothing, and it should it shouldn't be about money, but it, it has to be. It has to be to a degree, mm. um, and I think that that's unless you're retired, which a lot of, which a lot of them are, and I, I I totally get why they do it. But if you know, if I know what I earn from my channel, and I know that the videos punch above their weight for the subscribers that I've got. And I know how little I earn. So some of these channels that are doing it, you're thinking, how are you, how is this worth it mm-hmm. in terms of just financially worth it? Which is one of the reasons why I have a shop and I sell bags because I'm trying to make this whole thing a thing. Because mm-hmm. like, as I was saying in the beginning, I have to I have to think about this in terms of, you know, on that day I could be at the studio actually earning some money. Um, and I have to justify that to the missus as well, you know, to say, oh, you know, I've not lost money by doing this today. Mm. Um, mm. 
Yeah. So that, that's it. It's just, it's just it's just a practical thing with you making videos. It's a, it's there's a cost. Getting all philosophical for a second, as as sort of I, I wrap this up, does does filmmaking get in the way of a decent ride for you, or does it extend the pleasure of that ride? Oh, it it definitely gets in the way. <laughs> it's um. It's it's hard to get places when you're filming, especially if you stop as much as I do. Um, I, I you know I understand a lot of these um, channels that 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 do do just the the helmet cam and talking because they can actually get to where they want to go. That the that the ride is first, and the, the making a video for YouTube comes second. Whereas I try and make the video come first, and the and the, the ride comes second. So it, it definitely gets in the way of of actually getting places. Um, but I don't. I don't mind so much. It's um, yeah. I, I don't like rushing places anyway. So I'm never really in a in a vast rush to get somewhere. So if I've got the time to make a video, I'm not trying to speed off somewhere. So the the whole process I enjoy. But I I, I do quite often go out without any camera gear just to right. enjoy going out on the bike. Um, yeah. Because I don't want this to be too much of a job, and then I'll end up resenting the bike and stuff. So I think it's important to make sure I have those days where I just go out and ride like a normal person. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely gets in the way a little bit, but it's it's not too bad. Sure. And and finally, who in the sort of video filmmaking space uh, do you particularly admire, or who do you who do you take inspiration from? And and that could be motorcycle filmmaking or just other you know other genres as well. well I think um, there, there's one guy that I really like, and I think YouTube is almost behaving criminally in not promoting him because he gets no exposure and it is called uncle Longbeard, um and he has a great channel and, and I, I like how he edits them he talks funny no he talks funny he, he talks in an amusing entertaining way um and his videos are well put together and he goes on amazing trips you know and and they're they're, they're, they're useful as well like you, you know if you want to do the same trip usually you'll be, be able to work out where he's been and you can follow the same thing and it's 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 almost criminal how much YouTube doesn't push his channel. So, but I really like. But he was one of the channels that before I what before I got a bike, I used to watch his channels anyway. And then uh, you know when I started, I was like, well, I want to do videos like that. I want to do videos where people can enjoy the ride as much as anything else. I'd say Andy Mancam's another great one. I, I like listening to his videos. Uh, he's he's very witty to listen to. He doesn't talk unnecessarily in them, and they're really well put together. So he's another guy that I watched before I got a motorbike and start a channel um and then there's one video that that really got me thinking about doing youtube and it's i can't remember the name of the guy that does it. i think it's called nat geo or something and it's the lost boys cafe racer crew and i think they're in mexico or something and it's a fantastic video it's only three minutes long but i, I love it i must have watched it watched it about a billion times it's a fantastic video and it's it's sort of this, this sort of modern day ton up boys and it's a it's a it's a crew of bikers all on like cafe races and stuff and it's just it's got an amazing soundtrack to it it's it's just really really well put together i think sometimes when i'm feeling a bit disheartened about what i'm doing or i need to have a rethink i'll watch that video and be like yes that's that's what a motorcycle youtube video should be and that's kind of like what i want to get to if i can get there mm. um also there's also one uh, a group called um twin thing custom motorcycles we don't put videos out very often their videos are brilliant every time they put out a video it's like a mini film it's fantastic um so definitely um definitely they're, they're one to sort of aspire to be like well um Matt, this has been great. I've, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Um, thanks so much for being my guest on, on Real Riders. Other than your YouTube channel, uh, Classic Rides, is is there anywhere else that people can find you online? Um, just um, Instagram, um, just at Matt McFadden. Uh, Instagram, it's not called Classic Rides. Um, but other than that, that that's it really. Uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not all over the internet. Um, but thank you for having me. It's, it's been nice, been nice chatting to you, Simon. It's um, my first podcast. I hope it's been okay. Oh, it's been great. Thank you very much. Um, that's it for today. I, I look forward to watching more Classic Rides videos as they emerge uh, on, on, on your various online channels. Thanks very much, Matt. Oh, thanks, Simon.